This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies ed tech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and it helps you assess student performance through actionable real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of different tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com forward slash B-E. That's IXL.com forward slash B-E. Every child deserves a team. That's the belief behind Jigsaw Learning, a proud sponsor of the B Podcast Network. And it's why the company, founded by educators Curtis and Lorna Hewson, focuses on ensuring success for all learners through collaborative response, an approach in which every child is supported by a team. Through customized professional learning that incorporates workshops, leadership development, online learning opportunities, and more, Jigsaw Learning can guide you every step of the way to create a plan to maximize the collective capacity in your schools. Learn more at jigsawlearning.ca. TL Talk Radio, Season 2, Episode 16. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 16 of TL Talk Radio, a regular podcast with Lynn Funihatton and Randy Ziegenfuss, where our goal is to engage you in learning, motivate you to share your work, and inspire you to lead for the change we need in schools for the digital age. I'm Randy Ziegenfuss. And I'm Lynn Funihatton. Good afternoon, Randy. Good afternoon, Lynn. So in this episode, we're excited for our listeners to hear from Dr. Yang Zhao, author of Never Send a Human to Do a Machine's Job, Correcting the Top Five EdTech Mistakes. Dr. Zhao currently serves as a presidential chair and director of the Institute for Global and Online Education in the College of Education, University of Oregon, where he is also a professor in the Department of Educational Measurement, Policy, and Leadership. He's also a professional professional fellow at the Mitchell Institute for Health and Education Policy, Victoria University. Dr. Zhao's work focuses on the implications of globalization and technology on education. He's published over 100 articles and 20 books on these topics, including Education in the Age of Globalization and World-Class Learners, Educating Creative and Entrepreneurial Students. Dr. Zhao is a recipient of the Early Career Award from the American Educational Research Association and was named one of 2012's 10 Most Influential People in Educational Technology by the Tech and Learn magazine. Welcome to the show, Dr. Zhao. Thank you, Randy. So great to have you here. We really enjoyed reading your book, and we think for our listeners, and you know, certainly for the work that we're doing in Salisbury Township School District, the topic is really relevant, this idea of ed tech mistakes. So we look forward to, to talking in more depth about this. So in an earlier episode, we actually had the chance to interview author Warren Berger, author of a book called The More Beautiful Question. And in that uh, book, he describes a beautiful question as one that is ambitious and actionable. So what is the beautiful question behind your book, Never Send a Human to Do a Machine's Job? Well, I think the, the beautiful question would be, uh, what have we been doing wrong uh, to put technology into education? 
And so we have not achieved um, what technology promises to, to do in education, that is to transform education. That's one of the things that we really connected with, too, because we've, we've done a one-to-one implementation in, in our school district. We're actually now in our fifth year, and um, it, was, it was fun to read the book and to see what are the areas that um, we did address and what are some of the areas that, that mm-hmm. we could have probably done a little bit better. So in your book, you present the top five ed tech mistakes, and the first being the wrong relationship between technology and teachers. What can we do as leaders to correct the mistakes that you've talked about? How can we reimagine this education? Well, thanks, Lynn. I think the, uh, the biggest challenge so far is that in education is that we have not really done a good job delineating what technology can do, what human uh, beings can do. Uh, because we invent machines to uh, replace or extend, expand human functions. But in schools, uh, so far I've seen computers put in schools and trying to either call replacing teachers or trying to, you know, trying to uh, take over like virtual schools or those things. I think the first thing we need to think about is that is, uh, what can machines do better that human beings do not want to do or cannot do? So I think uh, as school leaders, we may have to think about the whole learning task, the activities that we, we do in our schools. So if you think of what, what, uh, what is education? So that's why I started thinking about maybe education should be more student-driven. Maybe education should have a broader definition of educational outcomes. Uh, maybe education should be truly uh, be about personalized learning. And once we uh, reimagine those education environment, education process, then we can identify activities and functions that machines can serve much better. For example, information storage and information uh, transmission that uh, should be done by machines. However, the human aspect of education can never be replaced. For example, uh, social emotional development, uh, the bonding between the teacher and student, the trust we can develop and help students to develop into more a whole being rather than just, you know, uh, acquiring mechanical skills. So I think, uh, you know, uh, what we I would encourage school leaders to do is to imagine the kind of education we want to deliver, the kind of education we want to develop for our children, and at the same time examine, you know, what kind of activities should be really given to machines. Mm-hmm. So when you talk about this idea in your book of the ecosystem, looking at teachers and technology as an ecosystem as opposed to a hierarchy, what would some of those um, specialty areas, of that? what's that niche for teachers and technology, what does that look like? Uh, I think, you know, uh, as I just was talking about is that uh, uh, machines shouldn't make us more human, you know. So I think teachers used to do a lot of, lot of uh, uh, mechanical uh, jobs, uh, like, for example, correcting hundreds and hundreds of copies of homework of the same thing, delivering the same kind of multiple choice questions, or simply just regurgitating or passing information to students. And those, I think, are mechanical. Those things should be done by technology, and they do a much better job. And I see blended learning, for example, is as, as a model that uh, trying to build such ecosystem, you know, so we can make teachers do what they are built to do as human beings, for example, uh, you know, encouraging students, challenging students, building relationships, creating a safe and uh, uh, environment to critically examine information, to receive information, encouraging students to create uh, uh, things. So I think in that ecosystem that is, uh, you will say, perhaps a much more symbiotical relationship between uh, human beings and technology. I think this idea that uh, 
computers or technology will replace the teacher is definitely a fear um, that many teachers have. And I teach in the undergraduate level as well. And um, those, those students, that's something that, that comes right to the top that, you know, well, is it someday the teacher or the technology going to replace me? And I think your idea of the ecosystem and, and thinking about finding what are the things that teachers are best at and what are the things technology is best at is really, really helpful to, to reframe that. Yeah, thanks. I mean, I really think about, uh, uh, first of all, I really don't cook, but I do examine <laughs> the, the kitchen, you know, in many ways, <laughs> is that uh, the, uh, you look at all these tools we have, uh, I mean, you got the, uh, multiple ovens, microwaves, different stoves, different, you know, levels of temperature. By the way, this is quite luxurious compared to where I grew up. In my village, we had a one stove for everything, and that was fine. But here, now we had all these choices. But no matter what, and you still need... Uh, a chef, the, how the food tastes, it still matters a lot, but it's determined by the chef, not by the uh, devices. So that's a that's a good point. And as as our chefs, we have to start to think about what do we want our classrooms to look like as you talked about reimagining education. Um, and one of the ways that we're reimagining that is using that technology for content creation and production. How can learners best use technology to create and produce new content and products? Uh, yes, Lynn. I think uh, the, you know what constructivism has been mm-hmm. uh, in education for a long time. We have uh, since John Dewey. We talk about uh, a student learning by making, learning by doing, and also also making things, doing things themselves actually matter as an educational uh, process. But for a long time, you know, when students are confined in the classroom, they really don't get the tools, don't get the chance to create authentic content or, pro- or products for an authentic audience. And now today with technology, we truly have the capacity to create and also to directly reach to an authentic audience. Students can create books for, let's say, for English language learners in the US, or uh, students can create movies to showcase a science concept and that actually matter to to somebody. And students could be in really writing, let's say, a book reviews on Amazon, you know, directly. And uh, of course, in the, the making can go way beyond. You got 3D printers now, you got all these, uh, you know, publishing uh, possibilities, you got uh, YouTube channels. I think uh, the big shift in our minds is that uh, students can create and students can learn from creating and students should be learn how to create. Uh, and uh, this is probably the challenge of the new age and the creation themselves it nurture, um, nurtures entrepreneurial thinking and critical thinking as well as creativity. I, I ironically saw a post on Twitter the other day for a $300 <laughs> 3D printer for kids to purchase made by Mattel, the game makers. Amazing. Uh-huh. Uh, oh, yeah. This this is actually quite interesting is that, uh, you know, one thing I want to, uh, well, I just want to add to that, Lynn, is that uh, uh, the, the making itself should be valued, but also making from authentic audience that has served authentic purpose should matter a lot more because in our schools, especially in uh, schools that use a lot of technology or, or technology using teachers, and a lot of times we follow the idea called project-based uh, learning or PBL, but lots of times when I look at them, they are not authentic products. Mm-hmm. They're not authentic mm-hmm. content. They don't serve a real purpose. Mm-hmm. I think that's a waste of time and energy. And uh, we we're still trying to check off all the you know the standards that this project has met. You know, we think the process matters more. The process matters as well as the product. We really need to emphasize the authenticity of the product. That's 
Ironically, that's something we're working with teachers on this year, the difference between a project and project-based learning with our Innovate group. So great point to share. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So in your book, you talk of, you have a whole chapter on this idea of folks who think technology should be used to raise test scores, that that's a primary reason why we use technology. So what are more effective expectations for the use of technology besides raising test scores? Well, Randy, I think that's the uh, one of the other mistakes that we've made. We have uh, trying to define educational outcomes as uh, test scores and test scores really in a very uh, narrowly set of uh, subjects mm-hmm. and uh, and often measured by standardized testing. You look at a lot of evaluation to say if technology has been meaningful, if your investment is valuable, and they really go back to the so-called uh, test scores. Have we raised test scores? And uh, uh, but uh, technology may have done a lot more in other areas. For example, as we mentioned, uh, if you use to enable creation. And that might nurture the sense of responsibility, sense of, uh, of service to other people, creating products. And maybe you, you've cultivated some kind of resilience through the failures that you, you try to create products. Also technology, for example, you think it might have connected people, expanded our children's horizons about other people, other cultures and other places. And maybe technology just have... Uh, gone through this process to engage our children in uh, socially in uh, interacting learning to live in a virtual world and learning in the learning to live in a digital age and those abilities uh, would matter and might matter even a lot more than test scores so thinking about that and those test scores <laughs> um, certainly in some cases high test scores can create this false sense of accomplishment and low urgency for shifting classrooms that use technology in more robust ways. Can you talk a little bit more about that to expand on your last response? Uh, sure. I, th- I think that the, um, not only high test scores create this illusion of success, but also technology, uh, at least we're talking about more modern digital technology, uh, is really not a great uh, um, tool to raise uh, test scores you know test scores can be more effective and raised by somebody repeating it you know just paper and pencil are fine by doing that that's why you see uh, china producing great test scores without necessarily using technology and technology if you want to use uh, you know it to raise test scores it might distract you from raising test scores so some of the i think the effective uh, more effective uses i would really go back again to say uh, children Use it to create authentic things. You, you've seen robotics. You've seen people writing, uh, developing websites. Uh, people are doing uh, music, composing music. People developing apps. People managing their e-stores, online stores, online businesses. Uh, I mean students. And uh, students creating video to showcase their video gaming. And uh, the overall idea is that I think we got to let students drive uh, the whole process so that it capitalizes on their passion and strength. And technology can be used to support those kind of activities. We've been uh, dying for this kind of tools for a long time so as to implement student-centered learning. Now we have it, but we, again, do not use it in in the right way. We use it to raise test scores, Mm. which is very sad. So also in your book, you write about technology as a curriculum versus a competence. And I really appreciate the way that you frame out uh, this idea of digital citizenship. Could you talk a little bit about how you frame that out and um, describe describe that framework and why it's important for today's learners? 
Well, I think, you know, I was actually just teaching a class yesterday to talk about impact of technology uh, on education. And uh, we had a very long discussion about this to say that uh, uh, learning with technology and learning from technology is important. But learning to live with this new world technology has created for us is as important. I think that's a, uh, it's, it's a valuable outcome. And it's not about the ability simply companies to use this tool or that tool. It's to truly appreciate that the virtual world has become real. It's not, you know, virtual doesn't mean it's unreal. We live it on, on a daily basis. We socialize it, we entertain with it, and we we trade, we conduct economical businesses in it. So all of this, I think, really necessitates to us to rethink about how do we occupy this new place as citizens. You know, in my work, I talk about really, we used to live in one world, that's called physical, which is really geographically bound, physically bound. Now we live the virtual, which is very psychological and global, you know, so three places. Now we talk about global citizenship and there should be a definition of digital citizenship. That is, you know, think about, are we able to uh, understand, to live and to live in this world? Are we able to become productive citizens in this world? Are we able to uh, um, defend and create a better uh, virtual world for, for all of this? And are we able to really push, you know, to create the future uh, uh, place uh, within this world as well. Are we able to take advantage of this? You know, sometimes I joke with, with people. I said, okay, yes, you know, we do a lot of uh, uh, garage sales, but garage sales, you put up, up a balloon, then people come. But on uh, eBay, and that can, that can <laughs> e-garage sale would be very different. And do mm -hmm. our students know how to do this? I think a lot of parents from my discussion with my students yesterday really do not really understand this piece. They, they are trying to block their children's you know, access to, to video games, to all of those things. They, th they said, well, they're still thinking about success as success in the physical world. So they want to focus on content, uh, on subjects. And then we question, does technology help you learn math or learn English? But I would say technology is a curriculum, is an experience, is life. And I think as we're going through this process of uncovering the things that we're doing well and not so well. Um, this idea of living in the digital world is something that we should probably get a little bit better at ourselves. And Randy, you know, you're absolutely right. I think I don't know how many school districts are doing this. I hope you are, uh, because this is uh, is something as we are talking about the the oncoming fourth industrial revolution with the Internet of Things, and uh, uh, human beings are really going to be. Uh, truly live, you know, uh, two lives or three lives and have multiple identities. How do we manage that? And it will be very critical. We cannot just use what uh, we understand in the past, the mm -hmm. old world, to mm -hmm. interpret the new one. So that makes a lot of sense and something that we've been thinking about in our district as well. Can you talk to us a little bit about the two models of technology implementation that before three o'clock? And after three o'clock, and from your viewpoint, what makes one more imp impactful than the other? Well, that's very interesting because uh, many years ago, I was saying, you know, uh, I'm getting old. And uh, this was, uh, I think, uh, 10, 20 <laughs> years ago. And uh, we used to run a computer uh, clubhouse program in Michigan when I was a professor at Michigan State University. And uh, this is after school. Uh, a computer clubhouse program in some 20 middle schools. And uh, we, we discovered very interestingly, you know, in the after school uh, computer clubhouses, when the uh, teacher or mentor uh, 
did not try to control what students learn, did not try to manage every aspect of activities. Students thrive and they really enjoy, they really learn this. And of course, you know, that before 3 p.m. is, uh, is regulated, is highly controlled by, by the curriculum, by standards, by teachers, by pacing guides, by assessment. And uh, so students really were more assembly line workers. They check in at nine or some of you guys may start checking at seven if you work hard and students hard. And then they check out <laughs> and they are they're doing very fragmented tasks and they're given they, at the end of the day, they turn in some work, you give them, you pay them with some grades. And that's, uh, it's really assembly line work. There was no, uh, very little imagination, very little, you know, creativity and very, we don't really care about individual diversity and, or, you know, students' uh, interest. And after three, I think, uh, constitutes a very interesting framework. It's after school. It's uh, you can you can basically do whatever you're passionate about and teachers serve as the guide. I think that's perhaps the better model. You play with technology and you play with uh, your ideas. I think our schools have been really controlled. A lot of our great teachers you know, right now feel like they have been really controlled by a, a set curriculum, by pacing guide. Now with the common call, with the, all those high stakes testing, which is even getting worse and uh, even making after school after 3 p.m. become more like a before 3 p.m., you know, a lot of, especially in this is how we uh, help our uh, poor kids who cannot meet their grade level expectations. We give them more before school, so they are losing interest. Student disengagement is a huge problem. I hope your districts are not following the, the common core or those kind of uh, stuff, you know, that they are, they are really destroying this and they're turning after 3, uh, you know, into before three, extending the school day. Mm -hmm. And I really feel sad that a lot of our very, very good teachers have subject to this paradigm. And are you, uh, do you guys have curriculum cops now in school to make sure teachers implement this stuff? <laughs> we, we do not. <laughs> no curriculum cops here. So it's, yeah. it seems like that after three o'clock model is much more in line with the kinds of skills and the kinds of autonomy that our students are going to experience once they graduate from school, when they're going to be much more responsible for developing their own learning path, um, maybe, you know, de developing their career path um, through their own passions and interests. And so it would definitely uh, benefit us to to model that after three o'clock model mm -hmm. um, and change that before three o'clock model. I think that's what I'm uh, hearing. It's an absolutely, look at it. absolutely. And if you look at, uh, I think now our, our schools and uh, today, uh, we are facing really an entirely different world in the future. Our children, and you know, there's some mistake we always talk, prepare our children for the future. Actually, we have to prepare our children to create the future. Mm. I mean, they don't just walk in some future some other guy or some other women have been creating for them. They are future creators. And uh, the future is a mess. You know, it's not very interesting at all. And if I were to this youth, I feel bad because uh, machines are taking our jobs away, globalization encouraging, offshoring. And we have to deal with so many different things. It's uncertainty. And how our children manage uh, that uncertainty, how they can manage their future destination, all comes from the creativity, entrepreneur mindset, resilience, grades, all of those things. is about, you know, really being able to develop and uh, 
and look after their own learning path and their own learning activities and also to take the responsibility for their own choices. And if we do not allow that, and that's not going to be a very interesting future. So we are helping our children to become future creators, not mm-hmm. just participants. Mm-hmm. And I think that idea of creating the future is a great why behind why we must actually change the way we do school now, uh, because our kids are going to be those, our students are going to be those those people who do create the future. And are we really preparing them to do that? And sometimes I'm not so sure mm-hmm. that we are. And that's our urgency. So you're, you're a very busy man, and uh, you've written many, many books on many different topics around this idea of technology. So at this moment in time, what beautiful questions are you currently thinking about? What's next? Well, I don't know how beautiful the questions are, but they, they might be <laughs> ugly. And, uh, they, uh, but but the, the question, actually, I'm, I've been pondering about, I'm trying to work on a new book called, uh, uh, tentatively called Learners Without Borders. And without borders of not geographic borders, but uh, subject matter borders, teacher student borders, you know, we have uh, segregated our students from true learning to life with that technology and the new thinking, we might be able to change that, you know, what would it do, you know, what what would uh, take schools to do to help students become autonomous learners, and they can create their own learning ecosystem. I mean, as Lin and Randy, you know, this, you know, we all went to college, but we came out differently. We went to the same, we had the same major. I think that has a lot to do with which bar you went, you know, which friends you made, and not <laughs> not only the same, you took the same courses, right? I mean, it's uh, you know, who you hang out with, you know, and uh, I think what brand of beer you drank might matter that somehow. It's just, uh, I, I'm thinking about somehow, how do you help students to think about education is much more than courses you take mm-hmm. is much more than the books you read It's actually a, a lot more and now you know in technology we've been i mean in education we've been talking a lot about this idea called uh, uh, one to many you know one teacher to many students uh, one textbook for many students one syllabus for many students one standard for many students we may have arrived at the time that we should think about uh, many to one many sources to serve the one individual student because students can actually do that. Students have resources. They can access experts from afar. They can access, you know, YouTube uh, and uh, Vimeo. By the way, I actually think YouTube has improved the general quality of turkeys around Thanksgiving because not everybody <laughs> can watch some great chef cook and turkey, you know. But our students can do the same, you know. It's, it's, uh, I think we, we can do. So the question really is about can we help our students to learn to take advantage of the many, many, many resources to serve the one individual student. I think that's a big mindset shift from one to many to many to one. Mm-hmm. That's what I think technology is to go. But our schools, maybe your schools don't, but most of schools I've observed are still thinking there's one to many. We still want to mm-hmm. teach. We still want to instruct. We still want to um, test them, use one standard we got to think about we will serve individual students. Education is about opening opportunities for every individual student, not an average group of students. Well, we certainly have uh, some things to do in improving our <laughs> educational system overall. And uh, innovative thinkers like yourself uh, help to push us uh, practitioners to, to think about ways that we can do that. And so we appreciate um, your thought in, in helping us do that. Some very interesting takeaways. Thank you. Thank you. I really enjoyed talking to you. Well, next time we can talk some more about how to improve your 
uh, uh, your your turkey quality. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think either one of us cooks. <laughs> All right, get on YouTube in an iPad. There's somebody teaching you, but you know, you get an oven. You gotta learn how to use it. No, okay, we'll schedule well, thank- that. <laughs> That's right. Yes, thank- yes. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Zhao. To learn more about Dr. Zhao's work, you can um, visit in the show notes ZhaoLearning.com. You can follow Dr. Zhao on Twitter, and you can also see a link to his uh, latest book, Never Send a Human to Do a Machine's Job. Each episode, we leave you with a couple of questions to think about with the idea of provoking some conversation. This episode's questions, which of the EdTech mistakes have you proactively addressed with your technology implementation? And which of the five mistakes do you need to work to turn around? If you've enjoyed today's episode, would like to comment or just find out more about the resources and links we shared in today's episode, check out the show notes at tltalkradio.org and look for season two, episode 16. We'd love for you to rate the show on iTunes, let us know your star rating, and consider leaving a one or two sentence review. If you have time to do that, you'll help new folks discover this content. That's it for now. We'll see you next episode for a conversation with another innovative thought leader. Thanks again, Dr. Zhao. Thank you, Randy. Thank you, Lynn. Bye-bye. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, and improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com forward slash BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all of these goals. That's IXL.com forward slash BE.